We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Scott Talk Radio, the world for people who think. on some recent events and not so recent stuff. Um, I may be the only one, but these are my favorite shows, to be honest. Yeah. Because I like a lot of things. I like it. Yeah. Fair. You get you a can, bigger view. Exactly. You get to look backwards, forwards, in the yeah. future. Sideways. Sideways. Um, I'd like to look at something immediate, actually, happening right now. The latest update on this hostage crisis situation in Nairobi, Kenya, is that a huge bomb went off in the middle of a either the second or third attempt to rescue hostages. Apparently, com- uh, Kenyan commandos have stormed the Westgate Mall in downtown Nairobi, Kenya. To date, 60 people have been killed. The siege has gone on for the last day and a half. And... <coughs> I have a question. I, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So there's been this whole like terrorist thing going down for like the last 12 years. Mm-hmm. And apparently all of the governments of the world have been on board with this whole war against terrorism. Right? They've been – and each one of them has been training these secret, awesome, high, high – totally cool commando squads. Right? Go in there, super trained, everything like that. Why is this going on with 60 people dead and bombed? What, what, did they not expect bombs? I thought that that was what you were ex- supposed to expect from terrorists, right? They went in and, ooh, they had bombs. Scared us there. I mean, how are they being foiled by terrorists that they've supposedly been training to fight? Why can't they just you know, go in there? And- well, in, in the real world, you cannot actually protect everything at any one time. Right. You're talking about elite units. This is a public shopping mall. The way they apparently arrived on the scene, these terrorists rolled out of two vehicles, split into two teams, walked up the steps of the main entrance, started lobbing grenades left, right, and center, and opened fire at anything that moved. So unless you've got a crack team in position beforehand, which will become an interesting angle in the next few weeks, was there some intel that was overlooked? But before we get ahead of ourselves, that's what we've been told has happened. (laughs) So... Yeah, well, the interesting thing is that they claim that the terrorists, the people who attacked the mall in Kenya, were um, that they were looking for non-Muslims. They were going around asking people yeah. to uh, who the the wife of the name the wife of the prophet, i.e., Muhammad. And if you couldn't name Muhammad's wife, you were shot dead. No. Uh, you were allowed to go. I don't know if you're shot dead, but they were looking for people who answered that question correctly, and then they would 
let them go. So mm. uh, they haven't said how many people. Well, I haven't officially said how many people are dead, but I mean, it seems that they are. Doesn't it sound like contrived? It does sound a bit contrived, but it is probably it, well. Ultimately, it is contrived. <laughs> uh, but it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, it, it's it's definitely targeted against non-Muslims. I and Kenya has a big expat community. Uh, I think they've already said that there are some. There have been. They've released the name of someone working for the Canadian embassy. The Canadian High Commission, as it's called in Kenya, uh, a woman was killed. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a number of Westerners, most likely, right. amongst the victims, and also uh, you know, high society type uh, people. Yeah, I have a list here. I mean, they're saying that I mean, Canadians, Americans, three French, three British, at least two French, South African, Chinese. Canadian. Yeah, it's mm. it's a well, national it's yeah. an expat. I mean, right. you know, you can turn around and call this blowback if you want, uh, but that's a rather simplistic no, uh, explanation, you know. Um, these kind of things, generally speaking, these kind of operations and with that kind of a death toll um, aren't blowback no. because most of the terrorists, so-called terrorists, Muslim terrorists in this region and elsewhere around the world are all more or less controlled by Western intel right. agencies. So... Uh, if it's blowback, it's right. contrived blowback, uh, or it's simply more of the whole terror, uh, terrorism, Muslim terrorism threat being being demonstrated to the West. I mean, there's various different ideas as to why this could be happening. Obviously, it puts pressure on the Kenyan government um, in terms of you know you got to get on on board with this uh, <clears throat> well, terrorism business. You know, you got to allow more access, let's say, to Western intel agencies, you got to play, maybe, I mean, his, his name's, the president is uh, Kenyatta, and he may not be playing the game right. uh, the way that That's it's meant to be played. Like. I mean, he's, he seems to be a decent enough kind of guy, you know, he's talked a lot about improving a lot of ordinary Kenyans, and especially in terms of land, giving people more land, oh, giving yeah. more access to land and stuff, and that, <clears throat> that, before. that directly conflicts with the uh, Western interests, which is uh, having access to the land, specifically what's usually underneath the land. Yeah. Uh, in terms of oil, there's a big, uh, a lot of oil exploration in, um, in Kenya and ha- has been for a long time. And uh, I mean, there's a, they just recently found 60 some, allegedly 60 some billion worth of rare earth minerals mm, yeah. that the Chinese have kind of cornered the market on right. because they have most of them. That was also uh, They also found those allegedly in Afghanistan just by a few years ago, just by chance. They were like, oh, oh after eight years luck. of occupation, guess what we found? <laughs> I swear it has nothing to do with the occupation, <laughs> but there's something like three trillion worth of rare earth minerals in this place, right. and we're just like, whoa, we lucked out. Yeah. We could have occupied anywhere, and we chose here. Yeah, it's almost like we planned it. I'd like to didn't. point out that... <clears throat> As it is, China China is going to the global, the world market on rare earth minerals. Mm. Most of them come from China or China-owned holdings. Yeah. Oh. Um, there's also, I mean, an example here is, uh, this is just from August this year, British oil company jumps into, this is going to Somalia now, because allegedly the official story is that the people who are the, the, the Muslim terrorists in the shopping mall in, in Kenya... Um, came from, they're called Al-Shahab, 
and they're from Somalia. They're Somali you terrorists. You to say Al Kabab. Al Kabab. You can call it. <laughs> you may as well call them Al Kabab. bad. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> for all it really means. Um, but um, the Americans and the British, unsurprisingly, are all over um, Eastern Africa. Well, they're all over all of Africa and have been for a long time. Um, but there was, you know, there was the, the, the what's it called? The rush, the rush for Africa, the grab. Sorry. Scramble for Africa. Scramble. Rush, yeah. grab, scramble for Africa. Um, you know, maybe about 20 years ago or so, 20 some years ago when they all really, uh, <clears throat> it was immediately after the fall of the Soviet Union mm-hmm. when they all just went, okay, uh, yeah. There's lots of stuff up for grabs here with the dissolution or the change in in in, in the scenery or the change in the geopolitical climate. Let's. Mm. Well, so Somalia was a communist regime country. Yeah. Until 1991, when yeah. Black the Hawk. collapse, Black Hawk Down, civil yeah. war. Yeah. Um, but this is uh, just a story from British oil company jumps into war-torn Somalia. Um, and the opening paragraph is, Is it too soon for the war-torn country of Somalia, which has only recently instated a president in parliament after two decades of division of bloodshed to enter into major deals with foreign oil companies? One newly incorporated British company doesn't think so. Um, and that's... Uh, uh, the name of the company is Soma Oil and Gas Exploration Limited. It's a British company founded in the United Kingdom just this year and its chairman is Michael Howard, who is the former leader of the Conservative Party in the UK. Wow, what a coincidence. So, I mean, that's just one small example of the kind of thing you're dealing with. I mean, American and Western European companies are heavily, heavily, heavily invested in this entire area of Africa and have been for a long time. So when you see something like this happening, I mean, you need to put it in that context. And in the context of the fact that um, so South, these guys came from Somalia, supposedly, Al-Shahab. And um, they're allegedly trying to uh, install a <coughs> strict Muslim kind of uh, uh, heard you know, that before. government, right? And, and this is why, this is the official reason why the US, for example, has a, the CIA has a, has a, an installation uh in, I can't remember the name of the airport, but the Somalia's airport, they have a CIA, CIA has an installation there that they built a few years ago, kind of pretty big, where they, um, where they run their operations, which is essentially... They rindite people. Yeah, they have an underground... Actually, Jeremy Scahill, who wrote this book, um, uh, Dirty Wars, uh, he's written about it as well, that they have on, they have prisons, underground prisons there, which are kind of like Gitmo in, in Africa. Mm. So they're they're they've got their dirty fingers all over it, and they're basically running all sorts of uh, different groups, funding different groups, um, controlling governments, and that goes for pretty much all of the African countries to one extent or another. And, and countries like Kenya that are more more officially democratic and stuff, they 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 play it a little more gently, you know. And, but they but in places like Somalia, where it's kind of still to some extent up for grabs, they're funding all sorts of different uh, groups. Well, they can do with there. impunity there, you know? Yeah, so this Al-Shahab group who attacked the Kenyan, the point is this Al-Shahab group that attacked the Kenyan embassy is more than likely uh, controlled to some extent by the CIA or the Mossad, who are all over the place as well. So, um, well, the and, 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 and that's not a conspiracy theory, because the fact of the matter is <clears throat> these, these African nations are completely subservient to Western interests. You know, 
all the way. I mean, even in Kenya, that government is owned by, because it's been around for longer and is more officially democratic, it's got a lot of expat communities, you know, going safari in Kenya and stuff. The Israelis run all sorts of businesses there and still do. Uh, but the major part of it is, is natural resources, you know, oil and gas. Um, and it's Western companies that own uh, those uh, uh, projects and provide an awful lot of income to the government and therefore are in a position to control the government. Um, so, well, the Israelis actually have their own installation in Kenya proper. Yeah. Um, something happened in August that um, in the end they just put down to accident. On the 7th of August, the international airport in in Nairobi, I think, Nairobi or Mombasa, anyway, in Kenya, was completely torched, burned to the ground. Um, yeah, they're looking at it now. It does look suspicious. Immediately, FBI and Mossad assisted the Kenyans in their investigation. Mm. Now, this date, the 7th of August, was the anniversary of the embassy bombings, the U.S. embassy bombings in Nairobi, in Nairobi and, Tanzania. and Tanzania in 1998 mm-hmm. that officially put Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda mm-hmm. on the map mm-hmm. and on the radar as yeah. enemies of the West. So you just track it back to that. That's where it started kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, not really started, but it started, you know. It, it started in 1993 with the first World Trade Center bombing really started then. And that was two years after... Uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War, i.e. the end of the commie boogeyman threat. Mm-hmm. And within two years, they were bombing the World Trade Center Tower in, in, in New York and creating, establishing uh, properly this new boogeyman threat, which was Islamic terrorism, which would simply allow them to continue what they had been doing for the entire Cold War, which was using the commie threat to basically expand their empire and, you know, it's, it's a resource grab, a global resource grab. And beyond the control of resources, that is probably one major factor to explain this uh, neocolonialism, because actually colonialism in Africa and uh, third world countries never ended. It just yeah. have uh, new appearances and new way of being uh, implemented. There are mm. two geopolitical uh, factors that come to mind. Uh, first, it's... Uh, very convenient events this mus- um, and uh, convenient dynamics, this Muslim threat for Israel. Because in, in this latest event, in previous events, first you have Muslims that are framed, and uh, second, the victims are mostly Westerners. Mm-hmm. So a very good way to further the well, clash of civilization. Well, absolutely. When you, look, when, when you consider who's on first here, um, the Israelis were on first because the Israelis established their shitty little country, and I'm quoting a French politician there, in, in the middle of uh, Muslim countries in the Middle East in 1948. Mm-hmm. So that was the date, and even before then, but let's say that was the date. 1948 was the date when Israel staked its claim to there being a Muslim terror threat against right. freedom-loving peoples, i.e., you know, nominally pasty west pasty white westerners even though most israelis aren't but you know they they're a little they're a little piece of the west in the middle east you know yeah. that's what they like to think of themselves 
An oasis in the desert? An oasis in the desert, an oasis of pasty white Westerners who aren't really pasty white in the Middle East, surrounded by a nasty, evil terrorist Arab horde. And they established that in 1948, and they needed that mm. to justify their existence increasingly since 1948. So mm. if anybody at the time when the Soviet Union collapsed and the CIA were, holy crap, what are we going to do here with no more, com- with, 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 with no more commies? What are we going to do? Who's the replacement for the commies? Any suggestions? The Israelis would have been first through the door. We have one. Uh, Muslim, Muslim terror threat. How does that sound? You know, we've been using it to wild success. It's we, we could use your your help in that. You know, in, in, in promoting that threat because it would certainly justify our existence uh, as a you know our our essentially police state, but militaristic kind of. They had they had a problem ideology. They had a problem. The problem is that Muslim terrorists geographically would have been uh, confined to Muslim countries, i.e. the Middle East, North Africa, maybe further east. But they needed the Muslim threat to be at home. Mm. So there's an interesting connection here with this incident in Kenya, with the London 77 bombings. Um, A year ago, the widow of one of the alleged bombers on... 7th of July 2005 in London was arrested by the Kenyans running a network of safe houses in Mombasa, Kenya to which they were distributing weapons, money to so-called terrorist operatives in Kenya. This was a woman who, she's British. She allegedly converted to Islam and she was living in a luxury villa in Kenya sounds very Muslim. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she she was she had a false identity, which was South African, and uh, this was you know a foiled terror plot that the country was saved from. Then, just a month after that, July last year, 2012, um, supposedly with the help of the Mossad, another foiled terror plot in Kenya saw two Iranians arrested and tried. I'm not sure what the outcome was, but anyway, the hype was that they they were part of a plot to launch a bomb attack or some kind of terrorist attack on Kenyan soil. And the following week, the Kenyan government dropped a previously arranged deal with the Iranian government to ship oil to Kenya. So you've obviously got Israel... Again, we see well the American the Americans as well don't want any uh, any spread of yeah. uh, any ideas that you know or any 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 they don't want to give Iran any opportunity to simply uh, to have normal relations with uh, other countries in the world and you know but they also the other connection is uh, between the um, the Kenyans with uh, that soldier who was killed in Woolwich uh, this year in uh, May this year. Um, he was stabbed, uh, supposedly, in this really obviously staged uh, yeah. killing where these guys kind of fill themselves and talk to the camera afterwards yeah. and stuff. Um, the guy's name was, the, the guy who was arrested for it, Michael Adebolajo. Uh, he was he had been arrested in Kenya in, in 2010, and he claimed that he, was, he had been arrested by Kenyan authorities and handed over to British intelligence where he was mistreated. Uh, so there's a three-year relationship essentially going back with this guy, to, mm. which began in Kenya, 
it's just all over the place. You know, the the whole network of phony terror training camps and terrorist Muslim terrorist organizations, etc. They're all in areas well, where the CIA is very the CIA and other intelligence agencies, British and Israeli are all and uh, have been for a long time well established. You mm-hmm. know, so it's this this attack is the largest terrorist attack in Kenya since the 1998 U.S. embassy bombing. Now, there's a book written by an American author, Ralph Shoneman, and he's been researching it, the the embassy bombings. And I'm just going to quote something here, not directly from him, it's from another author, Finian Cunningham. A key indicator of a false flag operation in the 1998 attacks was the involvement of a certain Ali A. Mohammed, also known as Ali the American. He is labeled as the point man who masterminded and coordinated the assaults. Two years after the blast, Mohammed was arrested by American authorities in the U.S. and pleaded guilty to conspiracy to murder. It then transpired that the alleged Al-Qaeda bomber had an impeccable U.S. military service record, having trained at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and later working as an instructor in explosives at the JFK Special Warfare Center and School until 1989. The American government narrative then claimed that Mohammed, who was married to an American citizen and who had lived in California, was all the while working as a double agent for Al-Qaeda and that he turned by the time of the embassy attacks in 1998. Was turned uh-huh. by, by his handlers. All well, the best Muslim, terror, Muslim terrorists come from California. <laughs> Well, they they call them. Everybody knows that. Part of the narrative. I've forgotten this, but um, what do they call them? They had some ca- catchy name for them. The Silicon, the Silicon Valley, something terrorist. Jihadi. Something. Yeah, jihadi. Um, this the guy. Th- this story jihadi. disappeared. Of course. This this before nine eleven. Now, into this happened in two thousand. He admitted to it. It went to court, and then what happened? Um. They went to court and um, I think he basically went under a kind of witness protection program, yeah, changed his identity and disappeared. Yeah. Well, um, on the, just on that original Nairobi, Kenya bombing um, in 1998, the New York Times um, reported the claims of eyewitnesses in Nairobi who said that the truck used in that bombing had American diplomatic license plates. Uh, and another one said that the, the man who left from the truck and threw a hand grenade just before the bomb blast was wearing a blue uniform identical to that worn by embassy guards. The Washington Post <clears throat> claimed that based on a leak from the CIA in which the agency claimed to have foiled two recent attempts to bomb American embassies in the Middle East, the, the article quotes Robert Oakley, who is a former State Department coordinator for counterterrorism, <clears throat> on the U.S. efforts to infiltrate terrorist groups targeting American facilities. He recalled an episode in the mid-1980s when U.S. intelligence recruited a terrorist who had been assigned to bomb an American embassy in Europe. I'll read that again. The U.S. US intelligence had recruited a terrorist and had assigned him to bomb an American embassy in Europe. The putative bomber, Oakley said, was allowed to detonate a bomb inside the embassy compound in such a way that little damage was done and far removed from U.S. personnel. 
so that his relationship with U.S. intelligence was not exposed. So that's just a way of that's just an example of the kind of things they do, which is they have an agent within terrorist organizations or several agents within terrorist organizations, and they allow them to go through the process of proving their credentials as it's terrorists. By, both dipping. Yes, by saying you know, by saying uh, Al Akbar enough times, and you know, carrying out a few bombings, and then you're bona fide, and then you can. Uh, this is your guy inside, and you go and you can use him to climb up through the ranks, mm. or him and whoever else, to take control of the organization and lead the bunch of jihadis below you to do whatever right. bombing or attack you want anywhere, essentially, or you know, in, in the in the area. They have these kind of groups all over the world. The Brits did exactly the same thing, um, yeah, uh, all over the place in, in Northern Ireland, for example, but. Um, so th- this is how it's done, really. That's how terrorist bombings are right. carried out on, on a basic level, you know. The control is taken of uh, any kind of an organization that espouses any kind of a, a Muslim ideology to, you know, it can be quite quite benign, but they'll get in there, radicalize it, and take control of it, and then use it to right. just manufacture the Muslim terrorism yeah. and carry out terror attacks, because, I mean, these are terror attacks. A terrorist attack is when you attack um, a civilian population. But the people who have uh, made a dark art of attacking civilian populations throughout history are uh, state entities, their governments. I mean, that's, that's official history. That's, yeah. When you look at it, that's who, that's who attacks... That's who ultimately is responsible for attacking civilians over and over again. And people don't even seem to, even if you don't believe that, people don't seem to make a connection between terrorism. Okay, everybody says terrorism is attacking civilians to spread fear or whatever, to achieve some goal. But when Obama or the American government or the CIA launched drone strikes on civilians in Yemen and Pakistan and in Somalia uh, and other African countries and killed civilians, because they want to further their agenda of <clears throat> making sure that that country is compliant to Western interests. That's exactly the same thing. I mean, I don't even have to explain that. Yeah. That's exactly the same thing. They're doing the same thing. They're killing civilians. But everybody knows they're not killing militants uh, who's in the way. And their agenda is to put pressure on governments or to to make sure, ultimately, that's what it is. That's what ter- terrorism is. Terrorism is attacks by Western governments on <clears throat> the, the people of other nations to put pressure on the governments or the groups within that country to make to 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 allow American and Western corporations access to that country to do whatever they want. Yeah, and uh, beyond foreign nations, it's a way. Of breaking people's will and making them accept the uh, unacceptable. Yeah. And just going back to what we were talking previously, how the Muslim threat, fabricated threat, replaced the communist threat, a third motivation beyond control of resources and the geopolitical interests of Israel is um, maybe related to finance. Because uh, Muslim religion, the Quran specifically, forbids an interest and an usury on loans. Yeah. Ellen Brown uh, couldn't develop this point uh, much during the last show. 
But uh, as we've seen, uh, international finance is a big player in those conspiracy and those elite circles. And uh, for sure, a population that doesn't follow their rules is probably perceived as a hindrance to their plans. Um, the last few days has been uh, there's been a bombing and murder and mayhem extravaganza over the past few days. We had this one, uh, the most recent one in Kenya. Uh, I think yesterday as well. There was I oh. it kind of dropped off the radar because it happened so often. But uh, there was a bombing at a I think a wedding in in Iraq. In Iraq. <coughs> funeral. Oh, a funeral. Sorry. Funeral. A funeral in Iraq, uh, and I think 90 people. And there was another bombing killed, I think, in a, was in a, a church. Bo- a bombing in Pakistan in yeah. a church. But the one in Iraq was, it's just, I mean, Iraq is just totally, you know, <laughs> there's bombs going off and killing people all over. The, I mean, 4,000 people have been killed in the last few months. Yeah. Um, it's as bad as it was, under, as as it was. under the worst, yeah. you know, some of the worst the, um, years and months of, of the American occupation. And, um, and it's certainly worse than, than under under uh, Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein. Well, yeah. hello, there were no bombings under Saddam yeah, at all. There were not thousands of people being killed every year under Saddam. There was a very stable uh, society under Saddam Hussein for at least until uh, they started, uh, they imposed sanctions that killed half a million children. The Americans imposed uh, sanctions on Iraq uh, in the 1990s that killed half a million children. But even then, uh, it was a far better place to live than it is today because it's just basically being um, being split uh, split asunder by repeated bombings and attacks by, as I've described before in, in articles and stuff, by CIA-funded um, death squads. I mean, they've gone to great lengths to manufacture this idea of civil war in Iraq that never existed beforehand. I mean, people got a question question that under Saddam for for decades there was no civil war, um, and uh, Iraq was a very progressive, secular, <coughs> modern Middle Eastern country where uh, they didn't have McDonald's. No, but they, you know, it it was it was the most developed country in the Middle East, and um, the rights for women were as you know, women had uh, as many rights as men, essentially, and that was all destroyed. And what you have now, after 10 years of American occupation, is uh, a country where you know thousands of people are being killed uh, every year, and there's bombs going off all the time, so much that people just don't pay attention to them anymore because they're happening on a weekly or sometimes daily basis, and people don't, don't draw a conclusion. People don't. Don't, you're not allowed to blame the Americans. Ten years after, uh, uh, immediately after ten years of occupation by the Americans, right. before before which there was no problem whatsoever in Iraq. He lived in a very fairly peaceful and uh, affluent society. Ten years of American occupation, and it's being destroyed by by daily daily bombings that are killing people uh, in massive numbers. But you're not allowed to blame that on the Americans. I mean, it's cause and effect. Their fault. Yeah, it's completely. And fault. interestingly, now at this point where it's got so bad, they're bringing up an idea that was floated in 2003 by uh, Lindsay Gelb, I think her name is. Or, uh, his, or, no, Lindsay Gelb, his name is. Um, he's, he, he, at the time he was the president or the CEO of the, the major, the biggest asshole in the Council on Foreign, I don't know what they call them, in the Council on Foreign Relations, the asshole-in-chief 
of the Council on Foreign Relations, and he proposed, along with a bunch of other American diplomat uh, politicians, to um, split Iraq into uh, three kind of semi-autonomous or autonomous regions, Sunni, Shia, and Kurd. Because um, oh, that worked so good the first time they did it. Well, yeah. Well, the thing about it is, is that they there was no reason, there was no sensible reason to do that. For for decades beforehand, Sunni, Shia, and Kurds have been okay, maybe not the Kurds so much, but generally speaking, Sunni and Shia definitely have been living uh, peaceably, intermarrying in Iraq for decades. And then suddenly, before they, the, the occupation even got going, this is 2003, this is just a month or two after the occupation. After the invasion. Or after the invasion. Uh, they, the Council of Foreign Relations and the Americans are saying, maybe we should split it up into three. You know, it's probably going to get bad here. And lo and behold... You know. That's because they made it bad. Well, exactly. They create a civil war. They de- destroy the society. They, they, they create death squads to go around killing people indiscriminately or de- between Sunni and Shia. And then, and now they've floated. It was in the news just the other day. They're floating this idea again of breaking it up into three separate Istans, mm-hmm. Iraqistans, uh, Sunni Istan, Shia Istan, and Kurdistan. Uh, and part of the narrative is that they're claiming that the current troubles in Iraq, so April or so earlier this year, was the kind of insinuated was the fault of the current Iraqi government. It's predominantly a Shia, Shia government because it's been uh, attacking Sunni protest camps in the north of the country. Mm. That is a euphemism for the Al-Qaeda nut jobs they mm-hmm. have running over the border mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Iraq into... And from Syria. Who are largely Sunni. Um, from Syria, you mean? Uh, sorry, into Syria. No, I'm, they're from. They're now going from, from they're Syria to migrating. Iraq. No, but they're migrating the other way. And yeah. the, the implication is that the the Iraqi government is assisting the Syrians with dealing with this problem. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course it is. It's still going to be a threat to them too. Yeah. Right. And but this thing, Sunni protest camps. I mean, but the, 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 Iraqi, <laughs> the Iraqi prime minister said about the, this civil war. He said there's. He said something like he, he used to euphemism, he said something like there's a wind behind it and there's there's influence. And he didn't say more than that, but he suggested that somebody was somebody right. was uh, with the power to actually uh, finance and train and, and, and promote this kind of a mm. ethnic strife in, in the country um, was behind it. And I mean, seriously, 2003, with no reason whatsoever, immediately after the Americans invaded, the Americans and the Council of Foreign Relations are saying we're going to split. Maybe we should split Iraq up into three separate countries. For no, they had no reason to do that whatsoever because they had only just arrived. And previously there was no problem, no reason to do that. So they proposed that in 2003. Then they go through this process and create the reality required to justify that. Yeah. And nobody's going to blame them. Nobody's going to point the finger. I mean, it's like, you know, yeah, the guy with well. They're hoping to ketchup on his face, eat your hot dog. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not rocket science, but it's like, no, we can't say that because it's too freaking obvious. <laughs> and it's convenient at least two levels. First, it helps uh, dividing the Muslim world by overplaying this uh, manufactured division between Sunni, Shia, and Kurds. And it also helps blaming the rivalries between those different Muslim factions to explain the Western-caused chaos and mayhem that has been uh, overwhelming Iraq for years. I wonder if, if the whole thing is manufactured more for us than for them. I mean, I wonder if there's any 
if there really are any like real Sunny and Shia people saying like, yeah, I'm gonna kill you, they're all probably going like, damn it, dude, how do we stop the Americans from? Because they're probably faking like. It's gotten to the point where it looks like they're faking everything. There are no real Sunny or Shias in any of these quote unquote protest camps. No, they're all just hired mercenaries. They dance around. They put on some some desert gear. Shoot off some AK-47s in the air. They get some film of them, you know, spitting on some flags or something like that. And then it's just for us. There's not, and yeah. uh, but you can manufacture or increase social unrest, like in, during the Vietnam War, when the CIA conducted this massive exodus of northern Vietnamese, like one uh, ten million, one million, one million northern Vietnamese to South Vietnam. That was already extremely poor because of the Indochina War with France. It creates tension when you have a lot of people uh, and uh, very limited resources. So to some extent in Iraq, I'm sure they're trying to exacerbate the tensions between the different uh, Muslim movements. Well, well yeah, but it's not. It was well, not there the on, first on time. Topic, if I could say, it. because I read uh, what was his name, Colonel Trinquier's book on on warfare. Is a French French major who who, Algeria. who was in the. He was in Algeria, but before that, he was in Indochina, actually, uh, which is where he learned all of his stuff. And his basic job was mm. to create those kind of like radicalized, you know, sort of terrorist type of groups. And uh, he wrote about it, and his whole thesis was basically that you have to turn populations against any kind of radical movement by faking terrorism, essentially, or, you know, torturing people. It's basically, what they do now is kind of like he was like pre Kitson and his sort of like, let's go in and dress up as terrorists and like shoot people. And uh, he said that probably like the biggest um, hurdle that they had was that in in those countries that the people just didn't respond to to the factionalizations as well as they had hoped to that they mm. needed to go the step forward of creating these that they actually had to actively be like you know bombing and mm -hmm. doing things you know in the name of the terrorists because they wouldn't do it themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and he does give a couple of stories of him you know sitting down with. These kind of like local Indochina uh, chieftain kind of characters, you know, in charge of these these different factions, and uh, that they would look at him and tell him exactly what they were doing, and that they didn't believe him, and that they were only, you know, if it serves my purposes, I'll do such so, such and such a thing. But you know, I don't hate them any more than this, that, and the other thing. So, like their whole thing, they have to create the terrorism. Is is basically what I'm saying is that they don't actually really radicalize any of these groups, except for maybe a couple of fringe elements. Yeah. 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 Because I think that terrorism and murder in general is not something humans do no. in general. It's something psychopaths do and enjoy. So they have to instrumentalize and people to do it. They have to force them or they have to fake it it's like because those, people don't do that. Like those people that were in Libya, you know, that they were they had brought all of these different people. I read some sort of report. There were all these different people from way different disparate kind of like countries and ethnicities and languages that suddenly became this Iraqi, this, this Libyan liberation rebels, right? And a couple of people pointed out that some of them don't even speak the same language type of thing. So they they obviously weren't from Libya. They were saying they were from a couple of different countries. Yeah, they were coming from Qatar. Yeah, like Egypt. What's Qatar, Egypt. So they recruit these. They recruit and groom and find these psychopathic mm -hmm. individuals, put them into these sort of like teams of terrorists, and they move them around. So the people who are in Libya doing this stuff are probably the ones in northern Iraq going over into mm -hmm. Syria doing it. I mean, it's, it's the same people that were probably there. They just move them around. Mm -hmm. And because, of course, they're brown-skinned and the average Westerner can't really tell the difference. Mm -hmm. and they, 
They, they're speaking a different language. We don't know. Is it Arabic? Is it Berber? Is it whatever? We have no idea. And, and they get away with it because of that. And those mercenaries have absolutely no political vision, no religious agenda, no geopolitical goals. That's they're just psychopathic, psychopathic individuals who get the opportunity to fulfill their destructive goals. I, I have a story that um, illustrates this as well in a totally different part of the world. So in the early 2000s, there was a young Irish guy called Michael Dwyer working as a security guard for Shell Oil on a soon-to-be-built gas pipeline in the west of the country. And um, they hired, I mean, it's a company, of course, so they're going to be hiring from all over the place. Some of them were ex-real mercenaries. I mean, they'd handle weapons and stuff, especially from the Balkans. And he got mixed in with a bunch of Croats and Serbs. I don't remember the names, but some of them had some dodgy connections too intel agencies to factions fighting back in Kosovo and other places. Um, Next thing, he winds up dead in a hotel in Bolivia. Uh, Allegedly, the place was stormed because the Bolivians had got intel that there was an assassination attempt coming up against the current Bolivian president, Evo Morales. Um, And they tracked it to these three guys, one of whom was the Irish guy, Michael Dwyer. And they found, you know, an apartment or a hotel room, I'm not sure, loaded with weapons. Uh, they'd been getting training out there. He, this young Irish guy, not more than 24, had gone out with some of these people. Um, I guess he didn't really know what he was getting into, but it just it just showed me so clearly how you can have people roped into things that they, they don't necessarily have this dedicated ideology mm. to do it. They just like guns and shooting people, in his case. Uh, and kinda, they have some vague right wing, you know, he vaguely espoused some views that you would lump on together on the right wing. Right. But there's no directional, there's no well thought out philosophy at all. It's so empty. he, he, he kind of got Arlington Road a little bit yeah. there, you know, yeah. that sort of team of people who get you all set up positioned and for you to take a fall and make yeah. it look like there was something really to it. Yeah, all BS. Yeah, the, I mean, talking about talk they created just to give you an idea into the the mindset of you know that this and this isn't just um, our theory; it's a theory uh, of the of the elite, the psychopathic elite. Because back in um, two thousand four, uh, in the New York Times magazine, uh, Ron Suskind wrote an article and he quoted an aide an unnamed aide to George W. Bush at the time, uh, was later attributed to Karl Rove. And Rove supposedly said, well, according to Suskind, quoted in the New York Times Magazine in 2004, he said that that guys like me, this is guys like Suskind, the reporter, were in what we call the reality-based community, which... Rove defined as people who believe that solutions emerge from your judicious study of discernible reality. And then he said, that's not the way the world really works anymore. We're an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality, judiciously, as you will, we'll act again, creating other new realities, which you can study too. And that's how things will sort out. We're history's actors, and you, all of you, will be left to just study what we do. Now talk about 
That sounds like their philosophy. Megalomania there, you know, yeah, they're basically, yeah. they're, they're playing God, you know, they're creating a reality for the right. entire population of the planet. And, um, and while you try to figure it out, while you <laughs> sit around trying to figure it out, or we sit around trying to figure it out, they'll, they'll have moved on and changed right. the plot a little more, you know? Yeah, it's uh, quite a true depiction, because uh, all this terrorist threat, finally, it's uh, a few patsies or a few psychopathic individuals whose strings are pulled, who kill for killing, and after the old geopolitical twist, clash of civilization is orchestrated mm. upon those uh, isolated psychopathic acts that have no cause and no intrinsic meaning. So in this sense, they do create uh, a reality that uh, mm. some people believe. Yeah. At a certain level, what he's saying is kind of true. The problem is, is they don't realize is that we all exist inside of a kind of a galactic or cosmic reality that... They kind of exist independently of what we do. They create a political reality, absolutely. I mean, they create city-states or states or whatever you want to call them, the nations, all this stuff. Yeah, they do. He's not lying about that. But you know what? There's a comet somewhere 10,000 years away from us, or maybe even or sooner, that's just plodding along. He ain't got nothing to do with it. And one of these days, it's going to plow into the earth, and it's going to wipe everybody out, and then... Well, it, it might be worse than that, and he might have to do something with it. But not in, uh, not consciously, not in the way he I might mean, think. I they don't create... I'm saying that they don't create in the sense that they don't have control to oh, no. change and what they reality. And what they create might be opposite to what they expect. Well, they exactly. expect uh, power yeah. and wealth and yeah. comfort and uh, exploiting people and they might end in uh, when, what he's I, talking about is that he I has age. absolute control mm. of reality that yeah. he can change it at will and that he's controlling your reality but I'm just saying that there's a there's an external reality of these people that they cannot control they cannot control a hurricane mm -hmm. they cannot control a cometary strike they cannot control massive horrible weather that just ruins the entire food source and then oh, we're screwed they don't have real control of this while the poor think that they control some weather aspects and the probably can control or modify some with local weather phenomena which reinforce the illusion that they have a total control on the human level and cosmo or earthly yeah. level too. They they can't control nature. Much <coughs> as a lot of people would not the macro would like to believe. Well they don't even they don't even consider that, you know. I I, no, I think, think because I think what he's psychopaths mm. They what they control is they control the appearances of reality. They can change the set and the narrative. Yeah, and they need a lot of they need to put a lot of energy and time and effort into it to make it real for people. But ultimately, because it's fake, behind you know the, the fundamental basis to it is that it's fake. Uh, it's not sustainable right. forever. And I also think that they don't really understand human psychology very well. You know, uh, normal human psychology, uh, psychopaths. Uh, of which there are many in positions of power and who are developing plans for how the reality will evolve. Uh, an example of that I was just reading about it today was uh, it reminded me that um, during the hunger strikes in Northern Ireland <coughs> in the early uh, 1980s, um, Maggie Thatcher uh, came to power. Ding dong. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Uh, <laughs> That reminds me of uh, there was a group. She she did die, didn't she? Oh, she's dead. <coughs> yeah. She's dead. Six foot under. Sometimes, sometimes I think it's just a, a dream. You know, I wake up at night sweating. 
She's dead, isn't she? No, but there was a group, actually, I'm digressing here, but there was a group in leading, when she was in ill health, there was a group set up that, because uh, there, there were various politicians who were floating the idea of giving her a state funeral, and it was going to be uh, state-funded, obviously, and it cost quite a lot of money. So there's a group of people that set up a, a website that was uh, the premise of it was that they would only agree to a state funeral if they bury her alive. <laughs> like now, you know, oh before she dies. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of hatred towards Margaret Thatcher. In oh, the, there should in, be. In she the was, she was really evil. But um, anyway, during the hunger strikers, during the hunger strikes in, in Northern Ireland, where the the members of the Hooligan movement. Uh, the most famous of which was Bobby Sands, uh, went on hunger strike. During when that uh, campaign had just begun, Thatcher uh, was elected prime minister, and so she took over the policy. And she, they were demanding basically, as political prisoners, as they saw it, they were political prisoners. Um, they were demanding special rights, and they had been given special rights. Um, like they didn't have to wear prison clothes and they didn't have to they had special privileges about uh, f- free time and for receiving visitors etc cetera, etc cetera. they weren't treated as or- ordinary prisoners and those rights were then taken away and so they started a hunger strike to protest that and Thatcher came in at the very beginning of that protest and um, so she had an option that to either give them back their rights or follow through and she thought she would you know show them yeah. who's boss here but the policy was to at that time and had been for a long time was to alienate these members of the Republican movement and the IRA uh, who were essentially the hunger strikers these prisoners the policy the British policy was to alienate them and alienate alienate them from the their support amongst the the nationalist the Catholic community in Northern Ireland so that was the policy but she didn't realize that by pushing through with refusing their demands and allowing them, 10 of them ultimately, to, to starve themselves to death and protest, that the natural result of that, and I think there were some people who tried to tell her at the time, but uh, she ignored it and she was going to show them who's boss. And the result was that she essentially uh, achieved the opposite of what the official policy was, which was to deny support to these people from the local community because the local community were uh, outraged that their that their demands were not met, and that she allowed them all to essentially die, as it was seen, um, instead of simply giving them, not giving them freedom, they were still only prisoners, but just special privileges to recognise them as political prisoners. She wasn't going to do that. So it just it just um, it serves as an example to me of the kind of inability of these people in positions of power to understand normal human psychology. Mm. That that would have always been the result that it would have gone against their official policy of what they were trying to do to win the war against the IRA, right. they should have given them, immediately given them back these special privileges and def- and diffused the whole thing to, because it was ultimately it was a political protest. It was a political campaign on the part of the IRA to to, to heighten, uh, increase the profile of, of, their, of their campaign. And even just before, not long before he actually died, the first hunger striker, Bobby Sands, got elected because there were regional elections and they were too, because Northern Ireland was part of the United Kingdom, there were elections to the British Parliament, and he, in prison, on hunger strike, got elected as a member of Parliament. Huh. Yeah, wow. Thatcher made of the hunger strikers, <laughs> moth chills, and heroes. Yeah, well, there's another basic, their policy. There's another basic facet of human psychology which they don't really grok, 
and it's uh, summed up by a by an old uh, folk tale called The Boy Who Cried Wolf, mm-hmm. which it basically says that, you know, I mean, people are, in a certain sense, gullible, or since more like they're, they're trusting, and they want to trust, and that's all that's part of being social, a social animal is, you know, you, you trust people, and when someone says something to you, you take them at their word, and that's how normal people behave. But there is a threshold beyond which you've cried wolf one too many times, and no one's going to come. And that's the same thing that's going on with this whole uh, terrorist chemical weapons thing, kind of like what we saw. You know, you saw like these people, just regular like you know housewife type of people, putting up these videos on YouTube, basically calling the whole Syria thing bullshit. We're tired of hearing this. I mean, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf all over again. You know, this whole they used chemical weapons has become the crying of wolf and people are, you know, and they don't understand that people's credulity will wear thin with this one. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, all the more problematic for, for the psychopath in power that one of the main features is creativity. Mm-hmm. Right. So no. but by definition, they have to go back to the same scenarios again and again, yeah. not factoring in that human population ultimately we start to grok that, the same trick is being against them again and again. And, and you can imagine that they won't believe it. I can imagine almost the response among these cycles in power who are trying to lobby for an attack on Syria when they got a feeling for the amount of resistance among the general population and even among the U.S. military that was towards this kind of an attack. You can imagine them sitting there and just looking kind of bewildered yeah. at what was going on and they maybe one of them be like, well, it's not working. And the suggestion was, well, say it louder. <laughs> That's uh, what they did. Say it again in a different way, but say it again. Yeah. It's like, get John Kerry there and get him to say it like he believes it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's another factor they're aware of and that human beings might not be aware of so much. Is that the threshold depends on the number of times you repeat the lie. But it also depends on the level of historization of the population. And I suspect that's the reason why. There is the increasing the hysterization factor with all those terrorist acts, mm-hmm. quote unquote, in order to to make people more willing to accept the unacceptable yeah. and to not cross this bullshit uh, BS, uh, sorry, threshold. Yeah, look what look what it comes down to. I mean, it's trying to get people to accept your criminality. And your inhumanity and, and, and the attacks you want to weigh, the attack you want to wage on, on other human beings around the world, getting people at home, normal human beings at home, to accept the indiscriminate murder of other people around the world. And how do you achieve that? Because it's completely anti-human and unnatural for a normal human being. Well, you attack the people at home first. You beat them with a big stick so that you beat them into a state of submission where they will go, okay to allow you to go and beat other people, you know? And I mean, does anybody think there isn't a connection or there is a connection between the whole Syria business and the rejection of that uh, attack, that unjustified and ridiculous attack, you know, WMD, Iraq's WMD's part two, mm. uh, a connection between that and the Navy Yard shooting? I mean, that's, that's an example of what we're talking about. I mean, they see... Maybe they interpreted that as some kind of a, an awakening or a, a little too much understanding or a little too much awareness among the average person in the street in the U.S. about the bullshit that's, that the elite are trying to pass off on them. Right. And they said, well, what are we going to do? Well, beat them. 
i.e. I have somebody go and do a, a shooting in, a, in Washington, D.C. There you go. It has, it has the, the nation's capital. of hasty, hasty, hastily thrown together. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem to have any reason. It's just like, well, have some, do we have anybody who can shoot somebody? Do something. Send them out now. Yeah. Well, I can see a reason for targeting a Navy base. The objective of terrorism, state terrorism, is the same thing is to terrorize people, to hysterize people. That's not killing per se. Killing is the objective for the psychopath who do, who execute the orders, for the one who pulls the string. The objective is not killing. It's only a mean to reach an emotional state within the population. And that's why in, uh, you have several accounts of uh, those regimes that were killing through their militias, but always leaving survivors behind because the survivors would be the prime witness who would spread terror among the, among the population. Through repeated and, interviews on yeah. Fox TV. And now, we're targeting a, a military base because in human psyche, a military base is a highly uh, secured space. And it means, okay, the terrorists, they manage to go in the base and shoot and kill in the base. So it means any of us, any of you citizen is a potential threat, mm. is a potential target. Yeah. Well, that brings me... Uh, you, you want to see them? Go ahead. All right. So I was digging through the SOT page today, and buried in there was probably what I consider to be the most interesting article I have read in quite a long time, and I hope you'll see how it's connected. It is basically um, from the science the science section of the SOT site, and it's a, it's a study about phobias, um, that basically there was a quote in there and she said that uh, it's well known that considerable research has shown that social forms of learning can contribute to the acquisition of fears. And the study is basically about using a therapy model for fixing phobias in people and fears in people by having them be near other people who don't have the phobia. Like if you have a fear of spiders, people who are with you who don't have the fear of spiders who are like interacting with it or a fear of snakes or something, they interact with the snake and that from you watching that there's no danger, seeing that there's no danger, it actually reduces your phobia until eventually it goes away. And so this is the result of her research. And I said, well, this is exactly in a certain sense what they do with this, that they are socially educating people to be afraid. You know, whenever these, these things and they show, oh yeah, the terrorists and everybody and you watch television shows. This is the big one. You watch television shows, and there's all this terror, terrorist language now. You know, after 9/11, there's all these things about like homeland. They have shows, homeland security, and the terrorists, and all this different stuff. And they're just socializing fear. But the interesting thing about the article is not so much that; it's that actually they're using the same process to unsocialize fear. So that when people actually stand up and resist this fear mongering. And they stand up and say, yeah, but, you know, I don't believe you and all this different stuff that you show to people around you that there's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. You know, so it works the opposite way. So it does work the opposite way as long as you can. But yeah. On, yeah. On the on the first way, the first theory of getting over your fears, I have a fear that maybe I could use this for. Right. <clears throat> right. I'm afraid that I might in a fit of peak. Take a flight to Washington and. Beat John Kerry around the head with a large trout. <laughs> the large trout. Yeah. Could someone else absolve me or, you know, take away this fear by having me watch someone else do that? 
<laughs> no. I mean, that, that's the theory, right? If I see someone else do that, then I won't be afraid of doing that anymore. Well, you know, I mean, it's kind of like kicking a computer, you know? Because, I mean, John Kerry is such a robot. Did you Have you seen him? It's like his eye is like the person who's controlling him doesn't have complete control over his eye because it keeps drifting up, yeah. right? It's, it's, I, keep, I mean, just watching him, I couldn't keep like a straight face watching him. I mean, he was talking about the death and the murder and the children and all this different stuff, but he looks like... A cartoon character. He's mm-hmm. like got this, and he's wearing so much makeup. I guess to cover up. I don't know because you can tell that he's wearing like a lot of makeup, but it's not really hiding that lazy eye, and he kind of you know squints with it. He's he's a cartoon character. He's not real. Well, there was a, there was a, there was a <laughs> there was on our forum there was a discussion about the way these supreme mouthpieces for war for war and and death. Like uh, Hillary Clinton and yeah. uh, Kerry was mentioned, uh, there were pictures of before them and before and after type thing, and they do seem like they're they're melting, you know, they're like the Wicked Witch of the West are slowly I'm melting, you know, they can't keep a straight face anymore because it's you know, yeah, I mean it's, Hillary it's Clinton so suffused with evil that Hillary Clinton has turned into the witch from like Hansel and Gretel, you know, this sort of like. Almost like witch hazel esque, sadistic kind of like person. She's like laughing with glee. She's Dead people, they they amuse me. I like watching people being raped and murdered. I know she 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 has to learn the cackle. Yeah, she's gonna break into a cackle like one of these days. One of these days. But like right away, you know, she went from being like svelte to being like, I mean, she she swelled like a grape or something mm. like that, huge, and then she's and. Everyone's like, "What happened? You know, did, did did she have some sort of glandular problem?" It's like that scene in, in uh, the movie Lord of the Rings. You know, when the King of Rohan is being his the spell has been cast out by Gandalf, yeah. and he totally transforms before right. your eyes. I mean, it's kind of like that. it is. Yeah. Worm tongue thing. had been working on him. And uh, I suppose why well, speculation. I suppose that when you choose to serve the the dark side or the false, you're within a kind of pyramidal hierarchy and uh which is basically energetic and uh it means you're gonna be trained. Mm. The evil will take its toll, you know, year after year the more you serve you more into it, the more you will get depleted of your life energy. There was, there was a book I read when I was a teenager. It was a Star Wars book and Luke Skywalker goes to this crazy planet. And apparently there are like these bugs that consume the force or something. And there's this scene in this book that is, is so eerie. I mean, I was reading this at like 3 o'clock in the morning. I stayed up all night reading this book. And it's in chills. And every time somebody mentions the whole, that hierarchy of these self-serving individuals, I always think back to the scene where he's sneaking into like this palace. And he comes to this stairway, and the stairway is covered with bugs. And as he's climbing up the stairs, the bugs are getting bigger. And he gets to like, you know halfway up the stairs and he sees that there's a door at the top and he notices that what's happening is each bug is climbing up to the next level and some of them make it and some of them don't because the larger bugs at the next level grab them and eat them and this goes on and goes on and goes on up to the top so there's this one gigantic bug that's like three feet tall it's huge and it's sitting there and each one that climbs up it grabs it and eats it and then suddenly he sees like the main bad guy character open the door look at the big bug Grab it and eat it. <laughs> and that always, every time I think about these people, it's like that. And it has to be a stressful situation for them. I mean, they enter that, that life 
because they want the power. And they, they have this illusion about how powerful they're going to be, but they never realize that at a certain point, someone from above them is going to reach down and try to eat them unless they can eat that person. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a stressful, dangerous situation. And there's always someone bigger and There's always worse someone bigger you. at the top of the food, this, uh, someone else at the top of the food chain ready to eat you. And uh, one day that person will you know, be two lackadaisical and you'll eat them, but it's like a lottery. You know, mm-hmm. not everybody who makes it to the top of those stairs survives, and they know that. And I think it it stresses them out. You know, or not? Uh, I don't know if it's only a lottery, but uh, because of the very structure of this uh, hierarchy, pyramidal, it means there's only one single apex. It means that all the all the other actors are being food. Yeah, they feed on the lower level, but the food for the higher level. Right, and they enjoy. Feeding on the lower level, which is why they get involved in it in the first place, because they 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 dissociate from the truth of the situation that is anything that they can do to someone else means that it can be done to them. Exactly. And eventually it does, which is why I always say that it's not easy to be one of these people. You know, they are they're they're not immortal. They're not all powerful. There is someone above them who just may not like them or may not like what they're doing or think that they're getting a little bit too too powerful and and just smack them down. You know. Yep. Um, just to go back to maybe no, no we are shooting bugs. <laughs> well, a, a bug got squashed at the shooting in D.C. So initially, I mean, the initial reports were talking about three gunmen became two, and then we became ended up Lee Har- became Lee Harvey Oswald. Redux, Directly. yeah, ad nauseum. And the guy they singled out was a former Navy reservist now working for a private contractor, Aaron Alexis. Now, something interesting happened a month before. 7th of August, Aaron Alexis went to the police. I guess in D.C. or maybe, no, Rhode Island. And warned them, or he made a complaint, that he was hearing voices in his head caused by some sort of microwave machine. And it was going nonstop, day and night. Uh... Whatever, you know, your first impression could be, okay, whatever. The police took it seriously enough to take it to the Navy, and they pretty much said, okay, yeah, well, we'll get back to you. But um, a formal complaint was lodged, um, and it does fit the bill of what we know Mm -hmm. about mind control, that it was Mm -hmm. experimented on, succeeded, and tried out over and over and over again, and this looks like another classic case mm-hmm. yeah I mean the beaming of voices into people's heads via microwave technology is real officially real uh, it goes back to um, officially it goes back to the end of the second world war when I think it was in the UK there was a, they had a microwave station set up for part of the US military or the Department of Defense had a a microwave uh, station and they realized that people working there or living close by were hearing clicks in their audible clicks in their in their head and they just began started an investigation and they realized that it was the, the microwaves that were generating this this noise and then they had another they've had you know seventy years since then to pursue that kind of technology and it was pursued under MK Ultra and all sorts of things and the 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 theory I mean, the official public theory 
about it is that um, with a with microwaves, if you can direct a microwave at someone uh, at someone's ear or their head or whatever that I don't know how how specific it can get, but theoretically it can get specific enough to to affect the inner ear uh, the because when you hear speech, you're essentially hearing a wave, a sound, sound waves that are affecting your inner ear, and your brain is interpreting the frequency of of the of yeah. the wave as uh, the, the, translating are, it into language. There are tiny hair cells in the inner ear. Yeah, and your, each one vibrates depending on the the, the frequency yeah. that's coming in, and, and that your, sends electrical signals. To your brain is interpreted, and it's your eardrum as well that expands and contracts. And the theory with microwave is, and this may not it probably isn't the only explanation, but the theory is that through thermal expansion and contraction, it can be used on a certain frequency to essentially create the same conditions of a sound wave being received by your ear and therefore they can essentially mimic a human voice any type of human voice and uh, I would not be surprised that you go even further than that because the, the brain basically is a wave machine uh, you see it with uh, electroencephalograms for example it's uh, basically electric signals between neurons. So it may not even be microwaves in the ear, it may be directly into the brain. I wouldn't, it's speculative, but I would not be surprised that uh, by now they're able to uh, either via via (coughs) machines, emitters, or via what we call psychic projectors, they're able to influence or even seed emotions and ideas in some uh, human targets. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's something that has been um, extensively documented for psychic projecting mm-hmm. over uh, past decades. And human it, beings have the power, and not only uh, super psychics, but group of individuals correctly tuned and correctly trained have the ability to influence other people's psyche. Yeah, but even taking it back to just you know known technology, say microwave technology, where they can, uh, at least theoretically, or they know that, it, that microwaves affect uh, people's auditory system and, can, and they can project voices and sounds into people's what people perceive it as being in their own head <clears throat> you take someone who's maybe has a history of instability psychological or mental instability is on drugs or whatever and over a period of months you subject such a person to voices in their head a whole narrative stories everything you know I mean it's not it doesn't it doesn't take a lot of imagination to realize that um that such a person could be induced to do something based on this trusted right. voice that he that has become his friend in his head that gives him a narrative about how and what he should do, uh, like well, I mean, getting a gun like and going down and shooting someone, shooting place up. kind of thing has got to kind of you know drive you crazy a little. Well, bit exactly, well, you know, keeping you up all night. With yeah, voices in your head. If you don't, if you don't do this, these voices <laughs> will never stop. You know, I mean, it's, it's yeah. just use your imagination a little bit. I wonder though if they could. <clears throat> I, I doubt rather that they could rely on someone that they're messing with to pull off something they need done. Hence, it sounds like yeah. the other two people and more Absolutely, versus yeah. were doing the actual. Well, that seems to be the the mo of these the mo acts where they get to, someone as a fall guy to be on just site, to, to be have there, on, even yeah. to shoot a few rounds off, and you yeah. uh, he's the cover essentially for two more. Much more conscious and yeah. aware. That way, it can be said. People, but, but he was seen there. Here he is on CCTV. Oh right, yeah, yeah he was there. I guess this government story. Yeah, is true. Seeing is believing. Like Carl Rove said, you know, seeing is believing. If it, if you see it happen, then it must be real, and it 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 
this is what right. the reality is. But people don't they, don't even go there and consider don't even go to the point of considering that this may be a ruse, you know, that they may be lying to you. It all comes back to this idea of there are people who would do that. That's the one block people come, that stops people seeing behind the curtain or accepting right. an alternative theory to what's going on in the world today is that they wouldn't do that. Yeah, they would. I mean, they do. They they would and they have. And they've admitted to it. As the and problem. they've admitted to it. It's it's historical. It's on the historical record. You know, it's part of the historical record that they have done this. They've admitted to it. This is the kind of people we're dealing with. So. Why dismiss that? You know, they well, have, ultimately, then you take it back a bit further, and it's a per, each individual person's own sense of security that stops them from believing that. Right. Logically, they would accept; they would have to accept if the evidence that they would do that. But emotionally, they do not want to. So it comes right down to a personal problem for the individual involved when they will not believe uh, a conspiracy theory, for example. Because it's personal to them, because it attacks their personal sense of security mm. and uh, their comfortable life and the world they live in. And a lot of people need that security. They need to feel that there's a power above them, be it a, you know, a god or, or a, a president or a group of elected leaders who are all working in their interest and are benevolent in, in, their, in their approach towards the people. So it doesn't matter what the evidence is. If I don't want to believe it, if I can't emotionally believe it, well, then forget about it. Don't even try and talk to me about it, you know? Yeah, because the the choice is not made on a conscious level, on an intellectual level. Yeah. You can add up as many evidence as you want. Here, at play, is a very deep need in human beings for safety. It's on a limbic level. It's yeah. on a reptilian brain level. Yeah. Although it's unconscious, it's far more powerful of, than any rhetoric and any evidence. It's impossible to get someone to believe something when his or her sense of security depends on him not believing it. Especially if he's not aware that his own sense of safety is ruling him but and that is at stake here's in this rub. decision. But the real rub is that because you don't believe it, your safety is being threatened. Exactly. That's what's the real threat to your safety is yeah. the believing the lie is a true threat to your safety, not the the truth that they do that kind of stuff. Because that's not the worst thing, you know. I mean, yeah. The worst I mean, thing is that you believe you're believing a lie and you're imperiling yourself because these people. The truth is that you cannot accept is that these people have do not have your best interest at heart. They are working against you. They are working to to use you up and wear you out and maybe kill you ultimately or enslave you in some way, or certainly decrease your lifestyle and your comfort level to nothing and, and essentially lord it over you. That's what their intention is. But not everybody in the world's intention is that. So no, if you stop following those people, yeah. you know, I mean, you'd be safer, but yeah. you don't. You yeah. know? So it's, well, and that's just a projection out of, the, of, of personal things as well, where people don't, you know, pe people can relate, I'm sure, to, to experiences in their own lives where they have not wanted to believe for some emotional reason, not wanted to believe a truth that was staring them in the face and everybody else could see, but they would not, did not want to see it because of some emotional consideration, yeah. and they ended up suffering as a result. Well, what we're talking about is that same dynamic happening on a global scale, right. you know, where you as part of a society are going to suffer along with all of your fellow socialites, right. society members. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. At that, because of this refusal or inability to 
who simply face the truth of the situation. Mm-hmm. And by not facing the truth, you're believing a lie and you're walking down the primrose path to some unsavory end. Mm-hmm. And you can stop it, if you, but it takes effort, and that's why most people don't want to do it as well. How does the saying go, those who would trade... Security for liberty deserve no, neither. No, those who would trade freedom Lib- for security yeah. deserve neither. Well, and they won't get, get neither. Any. How many times since 9-11 have you seen that projection of here's the state, we're here to look after you, where you've got SWAT teams mm-hmm. storming mm-hmm. people's homes, mm-hmm. businesses, schools, on the slightest whim, mm-hmm. Scaring the hell out of everyone. Maybe not actually firing in the end, but oh, still, it's the whole, oh my oh, God, SWAT, go, go, go. Aggressive cops shooting people, tasing people, killing people. I mean, that, that, that's, it's, it's pandemic at this stage in the U.S. And, yeah. And that is all a result of 9-11 and people trading. And yet, and then the their thing. liberty for security. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. As a reasonable person, I would say, okay, if I believe in the whole terrorist problem, let's say I do. Um. And I saw that happening. If in every situation they stormed, secured the area, took care of the problem, then it would almost be acceptable. The fact is, is whenever there's a quote-unquote real, but we, we say fake, but real terrorist attack, these guys can't secure squat. Mm-hmm. 13 people at a basketball game. I mean, whenever there's an actual terrorist attack, the SWAT team is nowhere to be found. Well, not securing the area, not taking care of anything. They, this is what I was getting to. You see, this shooting started three blocks away. Washington, D.C. police, Capitol Police, their finest crack team responded. They were on the scene, guns drawn, and they got an order from on high to stand down. The one scenario where you actually might need a, a SWAT team there, they got the order to stand down. And it's it's going around. I mean, it made national news in the U.S., so I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it. Uh, they're not happy. The police themselves, whoever gave this order down, they filed a formal complaint for requesting an inquiry. <clears throat> they're, as far as they're concerned, something's extremely fishy that they were about to storm. They could still hear the shooting going on. Somebody said, no problem, uh, go home. They were ordered to disengage and turn back. Right. And that, that brings us back to that whole situation with the with this uh, mall in, in, what is it, Kenya? Mm-hmm. And what I was trying to get at was that, um, you know, I mean, the worst kind of situation, if you're if you're a SWAT guy or something like that, is to have to break into a, a well a well defended small position where there's only one entrance you got to go through it to get to the hostages there's bombs there's one door there's terrorists in between you i mean that's a terrible situation you know because somebody's going to get killed but when you're talking about a giant mall with hundreds of entrances or, or at least 50 you know entrances everywhere they can get in from the roof they can get in from windows they can get in from all these different areas they can shoot in tear gas they can do all this different stuff and you have a group of terrorists who have already started killing people, right? So already people are dying. This is this is a this is, this is a tactical dream in a certain sense because they're, they can't control the entire area. I mean, you'd have to have a huge a huge group of terrorists would have to be covering all the entrances. They can get in, they can shoot that place up with tear gas. They can take care of the problem. I mean, if they can't break into a mall, then they're completely useless. 
And so that's what I was trying to say is this is a very fishy situation. It sounds to me like the 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 crack team is the one on the inside, not the one on the outside. That those guys are are, are there, yeah. and, and well, somebody is you know. In places like Kenya, if our theory is correct, which is prob which it probably is, these Al Al Shahab uh, terrorists that are still in this mall in Kenya, uh, they have the better training because they've been trained and funded by the CIA, by the CIA as, as compared to the the Kenyan regulars, you know. Um, but yeah, on the Navy yard shooting. Yeah, the guy, a government official, told CNN that when the first radio call came in about a shooting at the Navy Yard, highly trained tactical U.S. Capitol Police officers headed to the base, but were told by a watch commander to stand down. Fishy. And they, they, they were pissed. I mean, they... Well, obviously, yeah. yeah. So they want, they're going to want some answers. Okay. And you see, how long can they keep doing this kind of thing? And fobbing off the answers. <laughs> one of these days, it's just going to be yeah, it's going to stop. That's no. Well, it reminds me of a JFK assassination. You know, two instances of um, police captains. Actually, before the JFK assassination, most of Dallas police had been uh, removed set on holiday. Set on holidays, but you had still some officers along the the path of the president's car, and uh, there was a case of this um, police uh, officer. Who ran after a suspect to the beyond the grassy knoll mm-hmm. and on the rail tracks, and uh, that that was told to stop. Yeah. And there was this uh, other guy who found a suspect running to a car convertible car. Mm-hmm. It was Lee Oswald actually, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, who had to drop the case as well. So, so about, don't get that guy just yet. We're going to get him later on. Yeah, it's, it's in my script here. Yeah. to be arrested at 3 p.m. And wasn't there it's something about the gun that was found and the police <clears throat> officer who found the gun but then said that the gun that he found was not the same gun that they said? Yeah, mm-hmm. there was a change in, there the, was a change in the, the brand. But there was, also, there was also the Secret Service guy who... There was a video of it of the Secret Service guy who should have been riding on the back of the uh, of Kennedy's car. He was told by a superior behind him, you see it in the video, telling him to, mm. to get off and... Yeah, because the guy can't take, get, get a proper shot with you standing there, for God's sakes. Yeah. And the, the problem, uh, the problem for this operation is that there are there's a lot of good cops. The people who become right. cops because they're conscientious and they think and they, what, they, what they're being told that it's a way of protecting the population. This um, this Navy Yard shooter, Aaron Alexis, had etchings on his shotgun. Uh, the etchings were better off this way and my elf weapon elf the voices in his head told him to write those elf extremely low yeah. frequency my elf yeah. <laughs> extremely low frequency well maybe I think so I think, I think it, was, it was initialized huh? e, it was capitals ELF it was abbreviation no my elf weapon ELF <laughs> elf he was told that he's a weapon he's an elf and I had to shoot people in the Navy Yard by the voices in his head projected from uh, from Langley. I would have bought it if he had written, like, my plus two sword or something. That would have been really <laughs> an RPG reference, but... <laughs> you know, it makes you wonder, when you see how extensive those uh, and successful those mind control experiments were already 70 years ago, you're wondering how many schizophrenic or people who get diagnosed with schizophrenia and who get uh, internalized in psychotic worlds, 
how many of them are not schizophrenic at all and are just telling the truth. Mm-hmm. They do hear voices in their heads. Well, it's not because they're crazy, it's because voices are being projected in their heads. Well, I wonder if maybe they just kind of actually blanket areas, you know, with it. And some people are just more responsive to it and they just go totally insane. And they just wait till they, they need somebody and they just pull from a large population of people who have been crazified. There is some evidence for that because you get clusters yeah. of shootings. I mean, the one in Chicago that followed on the heels of this. Um, same number of people shot or yeah. 13 people were shot or something like this. Not a one there. Um, including a little kid. It's something just beamed out there and a yeah. few of them snap. Yeah, I think so. It's maybe because there's a, a brainwashing center nearby. It may be because the beaming is more efficient there. It might be also because of the, what? Because of the local population, because of what they eat, what they drink, might make them more receptive to some uh, kind of waves. Yeah. So speaking about this power that is above and beyond, this delusional reality creating elite. A few years ago, we reported on the strange noises in the sky that were being heard around the world. And they were very interesting to listen to. And we both proposed some theories of where they were coming from. And they have emerged. Yeah. After a hiatus. Lindemann House is now doing like a documentary about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's one in, um, which I love, Slovakia, Bratislava. That's quite, uh, it's one of my favorites. Let you listen to it and then we'll, uh, we get prepared to tell us what it's all about. if you haven't heard it already it will grab your attention it's almost like that's the, that's the idea and it, hang on you know anytime I hear about that stuff though man I think it's all biblical you know? <laughs> the ground, I mean because the ground is like all over the world the ground is open people cars houses yeah. everything like all over the world right? but we say those events may be biblical but maybe the bible was described of Jericho's for example, we're describing the same events we are witnessing now. Exactly, you know, I mean, these are like, you know, these are sort of divine trumpets going on, you know. Just it, it's, it's just, just getting, getting day, fire from the sky. As days go by, it's getting easier to understand why they wrote as they did. Yeah, I mean, we really, all this time, we thought they were crazy, and then it turns out, it's like, wait a minute, actually, like, the same thing. don't realize how much a culture influences language. Things like God's wrath. But maybe in their culture, they didn't actually they use those words because it was just part of their culture. Entirely scientific. Yeah, maybe other people. They don't have to find them because they don't. 
in a way, they sometimes sound below, or sometimes they're totally non-directional. Okay. Apparently, our noises are playing. We're just not hearing them. Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay well. They were weird, weird noises as as uh, as my wife actually described them. Uh, it sounded, it sounded. Well, she said it sounded like a a Wookie mm-hmm. uh, in some in some level of pain, in some level of pain, maybe or or um, a, wo- a Wookie with a very large loudspeaker. A Wookie with a large loudspeaker and you know with a bad. Case. In fact, with a whole hemorrhoid. <laughs> I don't oh my know. God, Jesus. How does it will keep cream? Thank you very much. But that's what it sounds like, you know. So um, how does it will keep sound? How did? Have you never watched Star Wars? Oh, that's weird. Oh, okay, apparently, hang on a minute. Chewbacca? Something, something kind of happened there. Um, because apparently, when I played, there's something wrong with Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio here. Because when I played that clip, yeah. they listeners could hear the clip, but couldn't couldn't hear us speaking. Hmm. So there's something wrong. Can they hear us now? I think they can hear us now, yeah. So we'll just keep carrying on. One of the chatters should say something that they can hear us so that we know that things are working. So, um, but people said that it was, that it sounded like it was coming from the the ground. A lot of people said it sounded like it was coming from the ground and then others saying it from the air, etc. So, um, I think part of the reason why it's non-directional might be similar to why when people, when this technology is quote unquote beaming voices into their head, the the sound is already in your head. You don't have an idea that it's coming from here or from there. Mm. I think there might be something to the nature of this, whatever is creating this noise. Pierre, yeah. any ideas? <clears throat> and depending on the specificities of the wave, you can also have some kind of reverberation, some resonance, and uh, basically it can be a whole. Uh, a, broad space that is resonating and basically the sound comes from uh, everywhere and nowhere. That's another hypothesis. <clears throat> this being said, well, uh, to be honest, I don't I don't know the exact nature of the sounds, but what has been documented for years now is that amongst the, the exotic precursors of uh, earthquakes, and uh, it's also been um, mentioned during uh, asteroid or meteorite observation, there are some electrophonic sounds. Uh, what does that mean? Electrophonic sounds is basically uh, sounds that are, that comes from um, electric waves. Um, you can hear electric lines buzzing sometimes. It's really wet. You know, if you're on the high voltage electric mm-hmm. line, you hear this humming. Um, so electricity in waves in general. The sound is simply a wave within a specific frequency range between 20 hertz and uh, 20 kilohertz or depending on your acuity, auditory acuity. And, um, <clears throat> and um, it is a very narrow range that can... Uh, For the human ear, yeah. Yeah, there's a, a very narrow range that can... And one specificity of uh, waves, of um, um, undulating phenomena, is um, resonance factor and harmonic factors. Uh, it means that even if you have a signal at a frequency f, you will have a the same signal attenuated frequency f divided by two, f divided by four, two f, four f, etc. So to do some harmonic phenomenon, 
you might have some audible manifestation of a vibratory cause within the frequency range. There's a musical instrument. I, th I think it's called a harriman, maybe, or something like that. There's, there's a musical instrument that works off this, and basically there are no strings. There's actually almost no instrument, and you move your hands in the air above it and, and make music. It, it's really quite pretty, actually. And, and it works, I think, off of a similar thing where it's basically like waves that you are, because your hand impedes or interferes with them, it creates harmonic sounds, basically. Yeah, I think I saw it. And uh, depending on your distance, the distance between your hand and the emitter receptor, yeah. you modulate the frequency of yeah. the generated and sound. It's really, it's really quite beautiful music that it makes, actually. But Some, Pierre, where's it? Go on. Something's clearly resonating. What's on resonating for level? Oh. Come on, Pierre. We want the skinny. Fr fr frankly, I don't know, but just to give an example of resonance, uh, a well-known one. Uh, for example, you have the Schumann resonance. Mm -hmm. To give an example of a big resonator on a earthly scale. The Schumann resonance, which is about 7.8 hertz, is a resonance between the Earth and the ionosphere, a resonance within the whole atmosphere, which uh, might be driven by uh, lightning strikes, you know, and those discharges mm -hmm. create and maintain a resonance because the proper, the intrinsic resonance frequency of this big space our Earth atmosphere is 7.8 hertz. So I don't have the definite answer, I'm sorry, well, but uh, I mean, many things can resonate, everything can resonate basically. It can be the given, Earth, it can given, be some. Given what's going on at the moment in terms of Earth changes, I mean, uh, let me give you a, a list over the past few days. Maybe it's got something to do with this. Over the past few days, we've had these are article titles. Meteor lights up southeast Queensland night skies. One says she saw meteor-like fireballs streak across the Nova Scotia sky. Did a meteor cross over western Massachusetts? Fireball blazes over southwestern U.S. Seen across southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Nevada. Enormous meteor exploded above Quimbron, Wales. Panic residents reported sound like bomb going off. And then meteor strikes Tatooine, home of Star Wars. <laughs> it yeah. did. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, thunder in a certain sense is kind of a sound that comes from some sort of electrical phenomenon as well. I mean, it's, 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 thunder doesn't come from nowhere. There's lightning and then there's thunder. It's kind of a cause and effect situation. So. Yeah, and there are two kinds of uh, sound in, the, in lightnings. There is, the, there is a precursor sound and there is a boom, the explosion, when the lightning reaches its uh, target, its destination, usually uh, on Earth's surface. Um, it, but to go back to Joe's comment, it might be uh, related, but not exclusively related to um, asteroid activity. According to some researchers, the mutations, genetic mutations that were noticed around Tunguska in 19, after 1908, for example, those uh, anomalous tree rings growth uh, in the year directly following 1908 was not due to uh, classical radiation, like ionizing rays or radioactive material, but to electrophonics. Because right. apparently waves can induce, can be mutagenic, right. uh, induce mutations. Right. So there might be a, a correlation so, here. So is there, is there no correlation in terms of the electrical phenomenon associated with, that may be associated with uh, comets or meteorites, comet fragments or meteorites passing over the Earth? 
and uh, in some way, you know, interacting electrically with the Earth's surface at certain points, uh, and thereby generating some kind of audible noises. Well, it's it's possible here again. I don't have the definite answer, but the problem is that uh, most of those phenomena, when you dig, are electrical, or to be more to be more objective, have exhibit an electrical dimension. Earthquake exhibit electrical activity. Uh, asteroids definitely exhibit electrical activity. It can be electrical activity between the celestial body and the ionosphere, between the, uh, the celestial body and the Earth's surface. Uh, it can go under the surface. So it's all electric there. And all that is uh, vibrating and mm -hmm. can trigger some resonance and harmonic and electrophonics. So um, at this point, I don't think uh, we have the definite answer to how exactly do sounds are generated, but it's they are strong. Uh, it strongly, all the data strongly suggests that it's related to those uh, earthly and celestial events. How exactly? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't it's know. It's only because they're happening at a time when all this other stuff mm -hmm. is going on. Exactly. That's I mean, even if we can't come up with even a, a decent speculative answer for it, yeah. let's just consider that you've got the planet literally opening up sinkholes. You've got an incredible number of fireballs being seen exploding, and then you've got these bizarre sounds. Giving, giving, one other thing. Well, given all of that, that all of those things are kind of portents of doom, essentially, that may involve a large number of people on the planet being, being wiped out, which has happened in the past uh, more times than science likes to admit. Do we think it's a coincidence that there's a story just from a day or two ago about British scientists claim that they have found small bugs from outer space in oh, their atmosphere. I was atmosphere. about to say that. I was going to say because it was just like it it's was like, like the icing on the cake with the situation talking about the upper atmosphere. And they say that they have some kind of conclusive reason for saying they have a really good reason for saying that they they're not coming from the yeah, ground up because it's. Because of how small they are and where they're located. And it doesn't have anything like pollen or anything Earth-based on them that right. they would expect. They're particles. basically alien bugs. Yeah. Right. So we have the planet gearing up to wipe out humanity. And, and, there's a and at the same bugs. time, there's a bunch of alien bugs waiting in the atmosphere to just come down and uh, take over, repopulate, yeah. start it all again. So when they said well, there'd be an alien invasion, all those UFO enthusiasts. There you go. Micro face, but they wait until you're gone. <laughs> well, uh, if you this xenobiotic thesis, the thesis speculating that uh, life comes from a panthermia, panthermia, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a similar theory, um, has been prepared and furthered by mainstream media's over the last decades, very progressively. First, they admitted there had been water on Mars, traces of water, right. and then, sure, there's been water on Mars, and there might have been life on Mars, and then um, protozoaires and microorganisms were found in meteoric uh, rocks, and then now we have uh, some evidence about complex life forms. small insects, which is a complex life form, coming from outer space. So they progressively prepare the population, which is harmonic, because maybe the semi-days that uh, orchestrate this uh, information release, progressive information release. At the same time, I'm aware that, uh, yeah, there's very complex life form uh, out there, much more complex I than mean, uh, 
if Sometimes. a bug can can evolve in outer space and can live in outer space, then you know obviously something else. I mean, if you take evolution on the planet to be true, then evolution in space then becomes possible. If you find a bug that is essentially, it's we're not talking about a single single cellular life form here. We're talking about something that's substantially more complex. Yeah, there's a very ethnocentric paradigm dominating the way scientists speculate about uh, outer space life forms and. Uh, one of the basic uh, hypotheses is that uh, life can only occur in a way similar to life, to the way life on Earth is theorized to have developed from, right. uh, i.e. coming from a unicellular um, living entities to a multicellular without a nucleus, with a nucleus, which is only a theory. It's not sure it worked this way. There actually. is absolutely no proof that it happened, to be honest. No, and actually there's... Uh, some evidence that tend to suggest that uh, this uh, evolution is uh, it's like having a, a hurricane over a scrap heap well, you have building a... from the parts around a, a Boeing 747, statistically speaking. What's more interesting is, is like the, you know, they had the Cambrian explosion, which is suddenly there's nothing going on, and then suddenly there is just life everywhere, and they can't find anything in between it. And who knows, maybe that life was kind of brought here by... Yeah. Yeah, and you have some major thresholds. Yeah, but it is. It does seem to be the case that it's not just uh, a life-destroying force. It's no life, life life-giving, life-destroying. Yeah. It, it all intertwined. Yeah. Uh, a few weeks back, we discussed um, this this lobbying effort going on in the U.S. at the moment to enhance security to protect the electric grid because of the threat from either a solar flare or from Iranian nukes being detonated high in the atmosphere that could cause an EMP pulse to blast, basically knock out all communications and all power, in fact. Well, just this week, it's been announced that the U.S., Canada, and Mexico is going to hold a major drill this November to, quote, simulate a knockout blow from an EMP pulse. So they moved it on to the next level where it's into preparedness. It's, it's going, it's well, going public. November is the the end of uh, the end of this year. The um, yeah, it will be the time when Comet Eisen is November twenty eighth. Twenty eighth, exactly. Close yeah. the distance between Comet Eisen and planet Earth. Well, it's uh, Comet Eisen. Half, what's, what's half a astronomic unit, so half the distance between Sun and Earth that we separate the comet from planet Earth. Why are people getting <clears throat> excited about this particular comet? Well, uh, I mean, there are so many being... I suppose it's manufactured because uh, for several purposes. First, it reinforces a, a false paradigm, the deep impact paradigm, yeah. this Hollywood uh, yeah, production, this movie, yeah, according to which uh, outer space threats are limited to one single massive highly visible object. Event. Well, the truth is it's uh, pretty much the opposite. The threat is uh, the most probable threat comes from uh, asteroid swarms that are not uh, visible or that might not be visible. It's not one single body massive. It might be a swarm of uh, bodies of uh, limited size, but um, look at the Chelyabinsk event uh, 
comet uh, Ison is supposed to be five kilometers in diameter. Nobody knows actually, but does he estimate uh, one body of a few hundred meters in diameter so is enough to generate havoc? And um, yeah, so this comet Ison seems to me to be a a diversion, yeah. a, a diversion from uh, yeah. the real threat. And in addition, it's uh, all this sisterization, this hyperatomizons, will push babies, uh, will push people to throw the baby, high asteroid well. threat with the bad water. Exactly. I cometelin, cometelin, because there is a precedent. Cometelin in 2011, you had all those crazy conspiracy websites that derailed the train of truth, and that started from a seed of truth and uh, easterized and overinflated it so much that it lost all credibility and people lost some interest for a very legitimate threat, i.e. asteroids, lost interest because uh, they saw that, yeah, there was all this hyperantelating, nothing happened. Now there's all this hyperantelating and nothing will happen, nothing visible. I say nothing visible because uh, at the end of this year, we'll cross the trail of cometizon and... Uh, Data strongly suggests that there is a correlation between plague events and uh, interaction with cometary bodies. Yeah, there were three asteroids last week <clears throat> that passed by closer than what um, Comet Eisen is going to come, and they only discovered them the day before. Uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, and in this I, case, you know, part of it is well, it's an asteroid, so it's different. And now, hang on a minute. Oh, so com- Ison is a comet, so that's worse. But if it's an asteroid, it's okay. And then at the same time, there are two other stories this week in which they've redefined two objects previously thought to be com- to be asteroids. They're now calling them comets. They are muddying the waters here because, as we've been discussing, the difference between comet and asteroid, they're not two separate categories, really. No, uh, physically... I think it's exactly the same. Well, it's a chunk of rock. Officially, but they're not. Though. Officially, a comet is uh, dirt and dirty, ice. It's a dirty, dirty snowball. snowball. And an asteroid or a meteorite is rock. It's rock. So, but in reality, according to ancient science, what to categorization between the celestial bodies and uh, meteorites and meteors being bodies that enter the atmosphere. So it's at low location time. But the main difference, according to mainstream science and mainstream media, between comets and asteroids is their physical composition, content. Uh, data shows that it's not the case. We already mentioned in previous shows the example of comet Lovejoy, uh, allegedly a dirty snowball, a few hundred meters in diameter, that's not this huge, that went right through the Earth's atmosphere, the corona, that is about uh, 6 million kelvins in temperature. The sun's... sun's. The sun's atmosphere. atmosphere. I said here? Yeah. Yeah, the sun's atmosphere. Um, it stayed in the sun's atmosphere at millions of kelvins temperature for 15 minutes. Maybe it was and deep it frozen. Very deep indeed. And uh, it emerged on the other side of the Bigger. sun's atmosphere. It was still shining. Mm. So the speculation of the Electric Universe uh, scientist is that the main difference between comets and asteroids is not their content, their nature, but the electrical activity. Mm-hmm. When there is strong electric stress uh, on the body, it starts glowing because of the plasma 
plasma sheet uh, surrounding it. It glows like a neon light, actually. And it's called a comet. It's shining. If electric stress, because of several factors, is limited, is less important, then it's not glowing. It's an asteroid, so it's a dark body. Most, so we can call, I call them celestial bodies, uh, and depending on electroactivity, you call them comet or asteroids if you want, but those, most celestial bodies are in asteroid states, non-glowing. So most of the threat is invisible. Mm-hmm. So this hyper and comet Elenian, comet Ison, is a way to distract attention from the real threat, invisible asteroids, by focusing the sole threat on the glowing asteroids, i.e. comets. But this is like their MO. <clears throat> they always focus you on the one thing that really it doesn't help to worry about. <clears throat> when you talk about like all this situation going on, they're like, oh, what if they set off a nuclear bomb? If they set off a nuclear bomb in your hometown, you are so beyond any help or security <laughs> I mean, it's over. I mean, an extinction-level event like from this deep, deep Impact movie or a giant, you know, five-mile or five-kilometer-long uh, ast- uh, asteroid or comet hitting the Earth, you are so beyond screwed. Everything is screwed. You don't even worry about it because that's one of those things where there's just nothing you can do about it. It's the little ones that are important. It's the it's the ones that you don't even see burn up in the atmosphere and drop some sort of, like, plague bacteria or something. Virus. You know, a virus or something. Those are the ones that you need to worry about. Those are the ones that bring, you know, sort of like alien matter, basically, into the atmosphere that could cause mutations, that could cause any number of things, which could cause diseases. That is the real threat. Well, you see there's total disinformation, as you emphasized. A, they focus on comet, while asteroid is a real threat. Um, and B, they focus on impact as a right. major devastating uh, consequence, right. while the most destructive consequences are not impact, uh, or not only impact that are very, that are less probable than other destructive effects, like overhead explosions, mm. accumulation of cometary dust, yeah. and uh, virus, airborne viruses, yeah. and a fourth factor, and I'll let you say what you want to say, and a fourth factor that, before I forget, electrophonics, yeah. which is mutagenic. So we have four factors that are totally um, independent of size. Yeah, and yeah, and they're not promoted and they're not even mentioned by mainstream science. I realize that in history there are records of fairly large bodies exploding and destroying, at least in a local area, a lot of people. Yeah. But I, I would actually go go one step further than that and say that far from being the largest body that's a threat. It's the long-term accumulation of dust, the finest particles, mm. that has caused all of our stress to date. If you think about all the environmental changes, the slowly, every year the weather gets more and more extreme, that's, that's caused by the accumulation of dust in the atmosphere. That's one of the causes. It's yeah. almost like the opposite. It, it's the, fin- the finest things that, if anything, we should be worrying well, about. Well, the finest things provide uh, evidence of something being wrong and something us entering perhaps some kind of a, yeah. a, a confluence or a stream of these objects as they fly by and load the atmosphere with dust, i.e. this is increasing the chances that one of these will not fly by and we won't just get the dust. 
So all of this precursor activity of that's the result of the dust loading is a wake-up call for people. But people ignore it and call it global warming. And uh, what you say is true. It's not mutually exclusive. Actually, it comes together. <clears throat> We're talking about uh, asteroid swarms, i.e. a cloud of material, rocky material of various sizes from uh, major bodies that are probably several kilometers in diameter to uh, very thin dust. And all of the and we entered the swarm. We entered a a part a space in the swarm where there is concentration of this dust and of a massive asteroid body, i.e. the Chelyabinsk uh, mm-hmm. event. So we're experiencing it right now, and we've been experiencing this increase for since at least uh, 2005. Yeah, and it's an increase. So it means we've not reached um, the 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 higher concentration. Yeah. As the increase started in 2005, a couple of years later, we had the beginning of majorly cold winters. Right. So, and people aren't paying attention to that. And yeah, whenever it gets hot, they come right back to this whole, oh, global warming. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, that's right. And then, it, and then it ends up freezing for like 90% of the time. Yeah. And a lot of informed people, including official meteorological societies and uh, are saying that warning that this winter they're finally getting a clue uh you know based on the fact that the past four or five winters have been extremely cold across the northern hemisphere and they're saying uh this winter is going to be extremely cold uh they're finally yeah waking up to it and they figure they're kind of thinking to themselves, well we don't really know what this winter's going to be like but maybe we should just base it on the past four or five yeah, you think? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so people need to get their mug locks out. Yeah, I think so. Um, on a closing note, um, <laughs> I couldn't believe when I, when I first saw this. Here's the headline. Church of the Meteorite, set up in Chelyabinsk, Russia. Founder claims that a surviving meteorite, I think one under the ice in a nearby lake, quote, contains a set of moral and legal norms. So far, he's gathered fifty some members. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's a latter day Moses. He's that's, a that's, day. That gives you an idea of, I, of how Moses actually got the Ten Commandments. It was actually some guy like this, you know, because Moses supposedly got a list of moral codes on lumps of rock from the sky, right? right. This guy. Yeah, there was a thunderbolt involved. I this think. guy is getting moral codes from a lump of rock that fell from the sky in the lake. Well, and when you go to Mecca. Um, the pilgrimage that every Muslim is supposed to do amongst the holy objects, one the holiest is a black stone. Yeah. Right. right. And when you start to realize the magnitude of the disaster that can be induced by such uh, events, celestial events, mm-hmm. you realize that the survivors have only one thing in mind, meteorites, what caused the change of the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, were, I was reading about that. That just blows your mind when you consider that well, millions of Muslims. I was going to ask one question, though. Does it include, like, what those moral norms are? Because if it's, like, you know, women have to shut up and <laughs> and, and let the men rule, I'm going to think that it's even more suspicious. It's starting again, you know. It's just like history yeah. repeating well, itself, you know. Well, what does he say? Um, <clears throat> don't eat pork. He says, I think it won't hurt... Chelyabinsk to become a truly holy city, which is what Mecca became, right? With the Kaaba and the black stone. Mm. 
um, home to a great temple that will be the object of pilgrimage for millions of people from across the world. That still happens. The Hajj right. pilgrimage happens mm-hmm. every year. People, you know, right. will trample each other to death to touch this stone. Right. Um, but they needn't bother because there'll be plenty of stones touching them in the near future. <laughs> exactly. Well, they got it all backwards. They'll get, they'll get their own. Well, they if, so if they knew what those bodies can carry, I think they would not touch would it. Not touch yeah. It. yeah. Anyway, he, he say he says that the the war in Syria is a result of this. But he's got he's got it the other way around, you know that the the the. What do they call it? The, the dynastic cycle with the mandate mm-hmm. of heaven. It, it's that bad stuff happens, mm-hmm. and that is a precursor for. Well, yes, but uh, there is also a, a loop. There's okay. a point loops. where you reach a a high enough level of celestial activity, where it start the the negative feedback loop starts, and basically there are so many celestial events visible. That population starts to freak out and yeah. rebel. Right. There's more civil war, more repression, yeah. even more celestial activity, and uh, human conflicts, affairs, and celestial right. activity increase each other. Oh, yeah. I was going to say something, but you know, now it's well slipping my mind. Okay, fun times ahead. Well, yeah, fun times ahead. So get your mucklucks out and wear a hard hat because there's. An ice age and rocks coming this winter, and the only way to survive them is with mucklucks, a hard hat, and lots of pork, bone broth, and and get our book comments in the horns of Moses, and get our book comments in the horns of Moses, and, can, and candles to read it because electricity might not be available by this time. Yeah. <laughs> we just paper copy just in case. We just, but only a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks to our listeners and our chatters who have been chatting away furiously in the chat room about all sorts of extremely interesting things. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week. Until then, sayonara. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. <coughs>